Um, I don't think it could be any more perfect. And again, not to make it about me, it's not about me, but uh, to be walking through Psalm 23 this morning, uh, when we think about what it means to, to rest, what it means to find all of our needs met in the Lord. And so if you have a Bible, turn with me to Psalm 23. Um, we're going to look at that this morning. Um, and we've been in a, in a series for the last few weeks about uh, a summer uh, in the Psalms, uh, a, a summer of restoration, because we really believe that through the Psalms and through the Lord that, that we can be restored. And, and again, I don't know about you, but I need some restoration, uh, especially walking through this, this crazy time and all that's going on in our lives and all that's going on in the world, um, is the Psalms give us language to, to really experience God wherever we are. So, so whether we're on the mountaintop or in the valley, it gives us language language to, to vent to God, to be angry with God, to thank God, to trust God, whatever it is, the Psalms are what John Calvin says, the anatomy of the soul. These songs, these poems, these prayers give us language to commune with God, to know God, to talk to God. And sometimes we don't even have the right words. And that's why I think the Psalms have always been so near and dear to so many people's lives, uh, because there's times where you think the f- Christian faith should be, it should just be this roller coaster into heaven, that everything should just go well. And then when it starts dipping and we hit the other side of the roller coaster and things don't go well and things fall apart, and I, it seems like the closeness to God doesn't feel as close anymore, and I do some stupid things, it's like, what's going on? Um, you realize the Psalms are a great companion to say, there's a lot of people that have been there before. Um, they've been in the valley. They've, they've wondered where God is in the dark nights of the soul. Um, and so, so we're really thankful that God has, by his providence, has given us the book of Psalms. Um, and so let's look at Lord, uh, or <laughs> Lord, Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. Uh, Psalm 23, I'll read that and we'll pray and we'll, we'll jump in. Probably most of you have this memorized. It's probably on a, on a doily somewhere in your house uh, or hanging over the mantle. No? Okay. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Amen. Let us pray. Father, what a beautiful, important psalm that, that speaks a, a word to us, an encouragement to us that everything we need in life, in this life and even the next life, is found in our good shepherd, the Lord Jesus. So I, I pray as we open your word for a few moments here this morning that you will speak to us, you will convict us, you will encourage us, you will comfort us, wherever we find ourselves this morning, that we could know that there's a God who has laid a table before us a spread of food that we can't even imagine and says, come and eat all who are tired, all who are weary, all who are thirsty. Come and eat the choicest of foods because that's who you are. So help us now by the power of your spirit. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. When I was uh, in my early uh, 20s, I had the opportunity to take a group of students when I was a youth pastor in California down to to Mexico. And we were uh, serving a church down there, doing some work with them and sharing the gospel with people in the community. And there was a time on our trip where uh, the pastor and his wife, and again, this is like a very, very small church, not many people, not a lot of resource, very poor community, says, hey, we, we want to feed you and your team. And there was probably about 20 of us on this 
on this trip. And, you know, we were feeling a little uh, hesitant just because knowing the situation, you know, I mean, there, there's dirt floors and there's not a lot of money. And he says, hey, we, we really want to feed you. And we said, okay, that's fine. Well, just tell us how much money uh, we can give you so that you can, can feed us. And he says, oh, no, 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 no we're going to take care of you and you're not giving us any money. And I, you know, as a, a 21 year old, 22 year old at the time, I'm just feeling really uncomfortable. Like, like you don't have, uh, you know, barely running water and yet you're going to feed us. I, I don't really understand. But, but through the trip, we he eventually, he, he says, okay, we're, we're going to do this. And, and he, they, they put out a spread that I just can't even describe. It, it was carne asada, um, it was rice, it was beans, it was tortillas. I mean, it, was, it, it, it would have cost them what I found later, probably a third of their income for the year. And I still think about that, that time because what it taught me was that, that a lot of times we don't want someone to set a table for us. We don't want someone to provide. We don't want, to, we want, don't want people to give us good uh, gifts. Sometimes we have a hard time receiving those gifts because we know what it costs them. <clears throat> we, we know the, the sacrifice that was, that was made. Let me grab my water. Sorry, I got a frog in my throat. <clears> throat> we, we know what, was, what it costs this family to be able to feed us in this way. And yet, yet culturally, that, that's how they are wired. It's, it's hospitality, it's generosity, it's just who they are. They don't think twice about it. And so, as I thought about that, that that's kind of how the gospel works. The, the gospel comes to undeserved people. It's a gift to us. God sets a table before us that says, come and eat. And, and he says, you're not worthy. You don't have enough money. You, you don't have the, the, the right resume to sit before me. And yet I am spreading a table before you to enjoy. Come and have fellowship with me. Come enjoy me. Come and enjoy my presence. You're not even worthy to bring the food. I'm going to provide it all for you. And so it kind of works on us in this strange way. You've heard me use that illustration of, you know, around Christmas time when you receive a gift. Sometimes when it's a lavish gift, you just feel kind of awkward. Like, how much should, should I owe you? How much should I pay you? But it's a gift. It's to be received. It's to be enjoyed. And so Psalm 23 is an invitation of trust. It's a psalm of trust. And why I love Psalm 23, it's a testimony of how God has experienced or I should say, how David has experienced God's generosity, God's mercy, God's grace in his life. There's no complaint in this psalm. There's no thanksgiving in this psalm. There's no confession in this psalm. There's no lament. There's no sorrow. There's no, where are you, God? This is simply a testimony of David experiencing the mercy and goodness of God and says, I want to invite you and I want you to see it for yourself. He set a table for you. He's led you to still waters. He's providing for you. He is your, your, your shepherd. It's, it's a very unique psalm in that, that way. Because it's, it's just David testifying again to God's provision, God's guiding, God's leading. And, and so it's one of these psalms where, where we almost just need to kind of pause and just marvel at it. Because it's about marveling at God and his mercies and his grace. It's not asking much of us. It's just inviting us to the table and saying, come and eat, come and enjoy, come and see who this God is. And so the way it's laid out is he looks first at the Lord as shepherd, which we know, right? We do have that doily. We do have that picture hanging over the fireplace, right? It reminds me of my grandma's house, uh, probably crocheted something, you know, Psalm 23, probably took like nine years to do it, to have that one verse. 
Lord is my shepherd, but also there's another metaphor that we often don't talk about is Lord is my host, the one who lays a table before my enemies and says, come and eat, come and eat. So I want to look at that lessons from the shepherd and lessons from the host. And then to to ask the question, how do we live a life without lack? Because it says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. How, how do we live a life that the invitation's on the table, that if, if, if God is our shepherd, he is our host, well, how do we live a life where we can say with David, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. I have everything I need in God. How do we know if that's even happening in our lives? So a couple lessons from the Lord as, as shepherd. David, he knows everything about shepherding and sheep. You remember before he was king of Israel, what was his vocation? His job? Okay, one of you knows that. Like, seriously. Okay, Old Testament, let's go. No, he was a shepherd boy, right? Come on, kids, let's go. Right, so he's, he's king, he's shepherd, so he knows everything about shepherd. He knows everything about sheep, and he's reflecting on the fact that the roles have been reversed. No longer is he the shepherd, but he's saying, God is my shepherd. I'm the sheep. Now, you know when the Bible talks about sheep, that's not a term of endearment because sheep are not the the smartest uh, animals in the animal uh, kingdom. Um, Not that I've ever owned one. Most of you probably haven't owned one, but they they are not smart animals, right? When the scriptures talk about sheep, it's not an endearing thing. It's like, hey, you're kind of dumb and you wander off. Um, your eyesight's poor. Sometimes your, your wool gets caught in bushes and the briars and, and you can't get, get you out, right? So, so sheep is not an enduring thing. So David is reflecting on his life as a, a shepherd, but saying now, God is my shepherd. He is the one who ultimately leads me. I know what it was like to lead sheep, and it's not, actually not that fun. And it's very difficult and it requires a lot of sacrifice. But if you look at the form of the psalm, Again, David's not, he's not asking God of anything. He's not filled with sorrow or complaint. He's not recalling the history of Israel. He's not confessing his sin here. He's just marveling at the Lord as his shepherd. It's a testimony of God, again, I keep saying that wrong, of David experiencing God. Notice how he says, he makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. David's reflecting on the fact that God himself is my ultimate shepherd. He leads me where I need to go. He protects me. He provides for me. David makes it personal. He's my shepherd. And we need to kind of just pause for a moment to think about what he's saying here, that God has come to us, the sheep, who are not worthy, and they're not very, they don't smell very good, and they don't act as they should, and, and they don't listen, and they wander off all the time. And, and yet, God comes, and he stoops down, and, and he comes and meets us in the mud, in the muck. He's a shepherd that doesn't lead us from afar. He doesn't stand on the hilltop and yell down and say, hey, get your act together. The, the shepherd always moved in with in close proximity and relationship with the sheep. It's the only way you can lead a sheep to where they need to go. 
You get to know them. That's why those, those, when Jesus talks about being the good shepherd and the sheep know my voice, that, that's exactly what happens with the shepherd and the sheep. They get so familiarized with the shepherd's voice that when they call their name, they perk up. Oh, that's David speaking. Oh, that's, that's Joe speaking. Whoever the, the, the shepherd may be, he gets, gets in the muck and the mire with us. He, he doesn't come from afar. So David is reflecting on that you are my shepherd. You are the, the one who's come to me to lead me and guide me where I need to go. And we know now, thousands of years after this, when Jesus comes on the scene in John 10.10, 10, if you go to John 10.10, 10, in the Gospels, it says, The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd who does not own the sheep sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I'm the good shepherd. I know my own and my own knows me just as the Father knows me and I know the Father and I lay down my life for the sheep and I have other sheep that are not of the fold. I must bring them also and they will listen to my voice so there will be one flock and one shepherd. This is an astounding text drawing from Psalm 23. I'm the good shepherd. The, the one that Psalm 23 is pointing to, I have come. I have, I have moved into the neighborhood by my incarnation to, to not come like the thief who comes to, to steal and destroy. But I've come to give life and I've come to give it abundantly. And I'm actually going to lay my life down for the sheep. Because we know a good shepherd, it's a huge sacrifice to make sure the sheep are cared for and making sure they do get to green pastures, that they do get fed, that they don't get eaten by wolves. And so Jesus says, I'm the one that's taking on that. I'm, and again, David is a great shepherd, and he's a great example, but Jesus is the better and the, 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 the good shepherd. Think about it. Jesus is the only one who knows what it's like to be a sheep and a shepherd. You with me? Jesus is the only one who knows what it's like to be a sheep and a shepherd. Because he took his own medicine. He came in the flesh. He didn't just say, I've come to lead you and guide you and and protect you, yes and amen, and and lay my life down for you on the cross, yes and amen. But he also says, I know what it's like to be a sheep without sin. I know what it's like to be hemmed in by temptation and weakness. I know what it's like for your friends to abandon you. I know what it's like to suffer. I know know what it's, it's like to not have a place to lay my, my head. That's why the writer of Hebrews in, in Hebrews 4 says that, that Jesus, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. That Jesus knows what it's like to be a sheep. He knows what it's like to feel temptation and weakness. He knows what it's like to suffer and feel sorrow when, you're close, when your loved ones die. He, he knows. He, he took his own medicine. He's the ultimate sacrifice. He's the ultimate good shepherd who made the ultimate sacrifice for the sheep. He is our good shepherd. He has the resume to pull it off, and only Jesus can. Because no one loves like him and no one sacrifices like him. David can't say that. Yeah, I made some sacrifice, but I didn't lay my life down for the sins of the world. 
I had a few moments where, you know, little Wooly was off, off track and I had to bring him home and it got pretty gnarly and, and there's some wolves that came in, but, but, but I, didn't, I didn't do what the good shepherd did. I, di- I didn't pull that off. So, so how does this, how does the Lord shepherd his people? Well, you, you caught it, right? It's, look at how he, he leads us. He, he guides us. He provides all that we, we need. He makes us lie down in green pastures. He leads us beside still waters. He restores our soul. He leads us in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. This is, again, the, the lessons we're learning from the, the good shepherd, uh, the Lord as our shepherd, is, is that he cares for our life, every detail of our life. Green pastures and still waters. Now again, I'm not an expert in shepherdology, but I did say at Holiday Inn before. That's an old commercial, just if you guys remember those commercials, they're fantastic. But I do know this, is that when you're leading sheep, they need, to, they need rest and they need to eat. All right? so, so green pastures have, have to do with, with water, or excuse me, with food. And still waters, a place of rest, a place of feeding, rest for the sheep, food for the sheep. Jesus said in, in Matthew, and in, in uh, uh, Scott already mentioned this, in Matthew chapter 11, verse 28, Come to me all who labor and are heavy laden, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is like Jesus invites us to say, Hey, are you, he- are you burdened? Do you need rest? He says, I'm not, I haven't come to give you more religion and more th- hoops to jump through to make your life better. I've invited you into a relationship where I would guide you and lead you so that you can find forgiveness, you can find cleansing, you can find rest. Even as Hebrews says, there, there's even this ultimate rest that is coming. A Sabbath of all Sabbaths, if you will. But that's what a good shepherd does. It's not just about running the race and just going, just keep going, just keep going, just keep going and do things for me. Then I'll be really happy. He says there's times where we have to rest and we have to be restored. But there's also the food. There's this physical need. He says food is what a sheep needs. Obviously, they, gotta get, they have to have energy to keep on going. But what isn't interesting how Jesus in Matthew 4, if you go back a couple chapters in Matthew chapter 4, when Jesus is being tempted in the wilderness by the enemy, by Satan, he says this, 4.4, 4, But answer, it is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Is that yes, we need to eat. We need energy to survive, of course. But Jesus is always taken a little bit further. Isn't he? he says, yes, you need food and you need protection and you need rest. Those are physical realities that all of us need because we know there's been studies done. You can't live without food for a certain amount of time and you can't live without sleep for a certain amount of time. But there's a different kind of rest that I'm offering you for your soul that goes much deeper than just physical rest. And there's a different food that I'm offering you that goes much deeper than just the food on your table is that man can't live on just food alone, but every word that comes from my mouth. There's a, there's a wisdom and a way of being in the universe that I'm offering you that goes much deeper than what's on your plate. That's the kind of shepherd he is. It's not just physical rest or, or food, but there's always, there's like food underneath the food and, and like rest underneath the rest, if you will. That I want to meet all of your, your needs in this life and the next. Isn't it interesting, um, and I'm always convicted by these, these texts, like um, the Apostle Paul in 1 Timothy 6, um, 
6, 6, he says, Now there is great gain in godliness with contentment, for we brought nothing to the world, and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing with these, we will be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. It is through these cravings that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. Isn't it interesting that Paul has to, and the scriptures have to remind us, that contentment is found when you have, at least you have food and clothing, that's all you really need. What more do you really need? If you have the Lord, why do you need all these other things? That's why he's, he's saying, he's warning us about money. Money's not bad, it's just the root of all evil, right? Because we want more, we want to accumulate more. We think if we have more, then, then, then our lives will be better. You know, the problem, my problems in my life are, are, are not having this much money, and so if I had more, then I could, I, my life would be great. And that's not to say there aren't times where we need more money. I'm not saying that. But what he's talking about is contentment, is how can we find a contentment that comes from the Lord, that he is the good shepherd that provides all that we need, that he knows every hair on our head. That if he takes care of the little flowers and the little birds in the sky, how's he not going to take care of all of your needs? That's why Jesus taught us to pray. The Lord's Prayer. You guys know the prayer, right? What are the petitions of the prayer? Give us this day our that was like a lot of mumbling. You know, let's say with confidence, give us this day our... Right? Isn't that a, a prayer for, for provision? I just need enough for today. Just help me get by for today. Your grace is sufficient today. That's why in the, the wilderness, God wasn't going to give them all the manna at one time and stockpile. Why? Because he knows our hearts. If you're like me, I'm just going to be greedy. I'm going to be the guy in the back just going, don't tell anyone. Don't tell anyone. Right? So he's like, I'm going to give you the manna once a week so that you don't hoard it all, right? I mean, my grace is going to be sufficient for you for today. Just trust me. Trust me. This is a psalm of trust. This is a psalm about, is God enough for me? Does he have everything uh, that I need for this life and the next, even from my rest and food? And, and, and how do I find contentment? In the Lord, ultimately. That, 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 Paul, again, in Philippians 4, Paul talked about this a lot. Um, because he, knows what it was, he knew what it was like to have a lot and have nothing. The Apostle Paul, the greatest missionary, knew what it was like to have a, a thriving business and have no business. Have money coming in, have no money coming in. To, to be in prison, uh, to be free. He, he knew what it was like, like for, for to be beaten to an inch of his death. He even knew what it was like to get bitten by snakes. Most of us don't even know what that's like, and I don't want to experience what that's like. But, but he can speak from experience and confidence, hey, I know what it's like to have a lot and have nothing. Philippians 4.11, not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I've learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound, and in every circumstance, I have learned the secret, here's the secret, of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Oh, what a great text, right? We just love football players, just tattoo that thing across their chest and put it on their arms. Tim Tebow, thank you. But, but here's the, the reality, is that if we read it in the context, he's saying, the reason I can have contentment in every circumstance, whether I'm in jail, or whether I'm in, or, or a free man, or whether I have a lot of money, or no money, whether I'm living on the streets or, or living in a mansion, that the way in which I can find contentment is because the Lord is the one who gives me the strength. Because he is my shepherd. I shall not want. Because the lie of the enemy is always you don't have enough. You don't. 
It's only if you get this. It's only if you get this relationship, this job, this amount of money, this amount of sex. Only then can your soul really be satisfied. And David is reflecting and testifying, saying, it's not it. I've been the king of Israel. I know what it's like. I've been a shepherd boy, and I've had it all, and it didn't always go well for me. But the Lord is my shepherd, and if I have food and clothing, I'm going to be Okay, he'll provide everything uh, I need. And, and what's so interesting about David and his expression here, and his, testi- his testimony here of his experience, is that I think he knows a little bit about the sheep, is that we're a little slow. Because he says, he makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me besides still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness. This is about God taking the lead. Because he knows who we are. Sometimes you don't even know you need rest. You don't even know what food you need. You don't even know that there are water (laughs) and pastures that are greater than anything, and sometimes I have to nudge you and push you in that direction to even show you what you really need. Because left to our own sheepiness, is that a word? Kids, is that a word, sheepiness? Somebody look that up. Our own sheepness is going to go horribly wrong for us. Because we're not that smart, we're not that wise, we're not that loving, we're not that compassionate. We, we don't know where we're supposed to go. And yet the good shepherd comes and says, I will lead you. And I will lead you in paths of righteousness, even to do the right thing. I, I love that little verse. <laughs> because all of us are always so worried about, did I make the wrong decision? Right? It's like life is three doors, right? Life is three doors, i, I got to pick the right door. If I don't pick the right one, my life's going to go horribly wrong. Have ever been in those situations? Okay, do I pick this job? Do I pick this wife? Do I pick, you know, this? You know, we don't really pick our kids. Um, but, right, do we have kids? Do we, do we, you know, go to this job? Whatever it is. Here's a little help on that. What he's saying here is just stay close to the good shepherd and you'll be fine. It's as simple as that. Don't panic and feel anxiety over every little decision. The, the reality is, if you stay close to the, the, the good shepherd, he will lead you in paths of righteousness or the right paths for his namesake. That he will lead you to the right decisions and to love and joy. And again, I know we're sheep and we mess it up, but the reality is if you stay close to the good shepherds, your heart and his heart will align together that his desires will be your desires. And so you don't have to fret or worry about, do I go through hall A or hall B or hall C? Stay close to the good shepherd. You'll be okay. You'll be okay. Because he wants to lead you where you need to go. And sometimes in my own life, it's to suffering or discipline or correction or recorrection. Sometimes it's absolute euphoria and joy. But the good shepherd always knows what the sheep need better than the sheep know what the sheep need. And what I love about this psalm, and I mentioned this last week a little bit, um, is that this is in the context of, if you look at verse 4, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff comfort me. Like I said in Psalm 63, David was in the wilderness. Even if I have to walk through the shadow of death and pain and suffering, the good shepherd is with me. Even when the dark night of the soul comes and engulfs me, your rod and your staff will comfort me. Again, 
I don't have a degree in shepherdology, but the rod and the staff are used to direct the sheep as a good shepherd would, but it's also to correct the sheep and to discipline the sheep and to protect the sheep from enemies. So, so what, what, what David is saying so brilliant here is that I've seen this shepherd and he guides me and he leads me. And, and sometimes when I get out of line, he has to correct me and, and push me back in, in line. But he also is the one who protects me from my, my, all my enemies. That he comforts me, he encourages me, he's with me, he forgives me, he, he cleanses me. That, that sometimes God has to go to drastic measures to get my attention, but he's always after my good and my comfort because he loves me that much because that's the where the rest of the psalm goes because now it's shifting metaphors now there's some lessons about the host the lord as as the host not only is he the leopard he's the host he's the one who invites us to the table he sets a table in front of our our enemies i love what john stott says he says he says talk about the psalm i'm no longer outdoors i'm inside at a banquet table so just imagine the, the movie and the, and the camera lens has shifted. We're outside, shepherds, sheep, talking about all things sheep and shepherds. We're outside, it's hot, Middle East. And now we go inside and there's a banquet table laid before us. And he says the same shepherd that was leading us outside is now inside laying a table uh, before us. That, that we are the guests, we are the friends that used to be enemies of God, but God has now invited us to come and eat the choicest of foods. That, that he's laid this spread before us. I remember years ago, Scott preached from Isaiah 55. I love that text. All who are thirsty, come and eat the, the choices of food. This, this picture of, of bounty and abundance. I want you to come and eat for me. Now, here's where it gets really interesting. Is you prepare, a, verse 5, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Now, I don't recommend this. But if I was to write the Bible, it would not read like this. Wait, wait, God, you're the host who has invited me into enjoying this feast with you in front of my enemies? I don't want my enemies here. And we can read enemies as the big E enemy, Satan, yes and amen. We can read it as any circumstantial thing could be our enemies, that whatever we're walking in, whatever sorrow we're walking in, trial, temptation, whatever those enemies are, I want to have a nice little intimate dinner with you overlooking the water. I don't want my enemies there. If I was to write the Bible, which I don't recommend, it would not read like this. And it would also not read this way because, guess what? I don't want any enemies. I, I want an enemy-free life, right? I don't, want, I don't want sin to wreck my life. I don't want sorrow. I don't want death. I don't want any pain. I don't want anything. If I was going to write the Bible, it wouldn't involve any of that, right? Amen? But here's why this is so brilliant and important and helpful David is testifying in his own experience to say that even when our enemies are all around us, the good shepherd is going to lead us right through the middle of it, and he's with you the entire way. There's nothing in Scripture that suggests that God's goal in your life is to remove all pain and suffering from your life. It is, in fact... I'm going to be with you right through the pain and the suffering because I've, I've set a table for you. Try to imagine that for a second. You're in the, 
ancient Near East. And, and to set a table for someone w- would have been an act of, of hospitality and grace and mercy to, to even enemies. But God himself has set this, this table. So when you come into a home, this is what's suggested from verse 5, is um, you prepare a table, you anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows, is that the guests would come in and they would anoint their head with oil as a sign of, of grace, as a sign of hospitality, as a come and eat, come and enjoy this, this food with me. You're my guest. I love you, right? We're, we're, we, even, even when they're enemies, sometimes this is the way they, they dealt with it is come have a meal with us. And then it mentions his cup overflows. So they would anoint your head with oil and then they'd give you a giant glass of wine. Can we, can we bring these customs back? I've been to your house. There's no oil in my hair, a big glass of wine. What are we doing? Right? This is biblical. But, but you, get the, you get the idea here, right? It's God himself saying, I'm going to anoint you. I'm, you are part of my royal family and that there's going to be a cup of wine overflowing with my, my goodness and my grace. This is for you. Even though you used to be my enemies, that Christ, the Romans would say that you, why were you my enemies? You died for me. That even you were my enemies, you didn't want anything to do with me. I've set a spread before you come and eat. Even as the enemies watch. I'm right in the thick of it. Even as COVID rages, even as marriages become difficult, parenting becomes difficult, cancer comes, depression comes, anxiety comes, whatever it is, nothing is too good for my family and I am with you the entire way because I'm your good shepherd who also is your host. And this is why David can say, Surely, in verse 6, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Now, I love ESV. We're reading from ESV, the English Standard Version here this morning, but I have to do a little Hebrew here because surely's not a good word. It's confusing. I think a better translation is only. Only. Just play it out. Surely only. What sounds better? Well, I'm preaching, so only is better because I'm making a point here. Of course only is better. But, but think about it. Only. It's final. It's finite, final. There's nothing, there's nothing else. It's only goodness and mercy will follow you all of my days. How can David say that? Because we, we feel like time's up. Is that really true? I've gone through some stuff, Ryan. So you're saying only goodness and mercy follows me. If I'm a believer in Christ, that, that's my lot. Yeah, it is. It doesn't, did you hear what you just said? Oh, there's all kinds of enemies. That's not, that's not going away. That's not going away. Suffering's not going away. Trials aren't going away. No one ever said that was going to happen. But I'm going to be, you, be there right in the middle of it. And only goodness and mercy are going to follow you all of your days. You won't lack anything to walk through the hardest things of your life. You have everything you need from the greatest moments of your life to the hardest moments of your life because I am your shepherd and you shall not want. Now, how can I also say that? Because God operates on a different mindset. We operate, you've heard this probably before, on a scarcity mindset. Going to run out everything, right? No more money, no more whatever. It's always scarcity. God doesn't operate on scarcity mindset. He's a generous God. His generosity never ends. It's who he, he is. 
And that generosity ultimately and most beautifully and most poignantly, again, one of my last sermons for a few weeks here, Romans 8. You've got to go to Romans 8 if you really want to have a good sermon. Uh, preachers, just so that's a little freebie for you. But Romans 8, 28. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Verse 31, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He did not spare his own son, but gave him up for all. How will he not also be graciously give us all things? Did you hear it? This is how David, again, he doesn't know. This is thousands of years before Jesus. Technically hundreds, but a lot of hundreds. How can you say only goodness and mercy will follow me all your days? Because Jesus Christ, the Son of God, laid his life down and became a sheep so that we could come into the fold. If he's not going to hold back the brutal death of his son, do you think he's going to hold anything back from you? Knowing who you are, knowing that you're a sheep who is lost, knowing you're a sheep who is dumb, knowing you're a sheep that doesn't have it all together. It doesn't see clearly. Knowing all that you are, yet Jesus Christ laid his life down. The Father sent his only Son to be a a loving sacrifice on our behalf. If you know that, mercy and goodness is your lot the rest of your days. Only mercy and and goodness, because God is for those who love him. He's invited you to the table. And there's going to be a day when we're in that house of the Lord forever, as David says here. But it's going to be a different house. There's going to be no temple. It's the entire earth is going to be restored and transformed. The entire universe is going to be our playground. But there's going to be a table that's going to be spread. It's going to be the finest of foods. And we'll have all our needs ultimately met and wants met ultimately in God, finally and fully. There'll be no more enemies of death or sin or sorrow or tears or injustice. So so how do we live a life without lack? It's first you come to the good shepherd. Because he's the only one that can provide all that you need. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Everything I have is in him. He's leading me and guiding me and restoring me. And he's laying a table before me, even in the midst of my my enemies. Even though I walk through the shadow of death, he's there to comfort me and and encourage me. But also I would ask the question, well, how do we know if that's beginning to at least take place in our lives in some way, shape, or form? I think the key is, does your cup overflow with generosity? If you've seen the good shepherd, if you've seen him as your shepherd and as your host, your life should be an anthem of generosity, the same kind of generosity that God has for you. Here's how this works, because at your office, when you feel like everybody's against you, you know there's one who's always for you. And so you don't have to put up your defenses all the time. The Lord is my shepherd. He's provided all I need. He set a, a table for me, even in my enemies. Even if you're my enemies, but I'm going to be generous. I'm going to provide for you. I'm going to love you. I'm going to serve you. I'm not going to make it all about me. D- does, does our life flow with the same kind of generosity that God has shown us? Does our, our cups overflow with his generosity flowing through our lives? And we can only say that if, if God is our shepherd and he's our host, Because everything I have is met in him, so my response is always, here I am. How can I help you? How can I serve you? 
I don't need to be defensive. I, I'm not getting my way, right? I'm not getting my due. I'm not getting my promotion, whatever that thing is. We can lay those things down because the Lord is my shepherd and I shall not want. Let me, let me close with this and we're actually going to take communion um, with our little communion kits. Um, not sure how that's going to go, but we'll, we'll navigate it in just a second here. But Revelation 7 been meditating on this, just blowing me away. But uh, Revelation 7, 9, After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne of the Lord, before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands. Just so you know, heaven's not going to be a bunch of white folks. I just want just to put that out there. Is, that, is, that, is this a safe place? Okay. Every tribe and every tongue. Amazing. And crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our, our God who sits on the throne and the Lamb. Now if you jump down to 15, therefore they are before the throne of God and serve Him day and night in the temple. And He who sits on the throne will shelter them with His presence. They shall hunger no more. Sounds like Psalm 23. Neither thirst anymore. The sun shall not strike them. No more heat and mid, Middle Eastern heat and nor any scorching heat, for the Lamb in the midst of the throne will be their, what's the word? Shepherd. He will guide them to springs of living water, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. That even in the kingdom of God, in, the, in heaven, Jesus is our shepherd, leading us to living waters. That we know, ultimately, one day, we will be healed of all infirmities. We will, our sins will be no more. Death will be no more. Sorrow will be no more. Pain and injustice will be no more. And Jesus will still be our good shepherd leading us to living waters. And I think we're going to spend all of eternity figuring out what that means and being satisfied in him. I don't think it's in a one blank. I think it's for the rest of eternity. We're just experiencing more of that, what that's like and what, what, what's happening in us because I just think it'd be too much to handle in one moment. But ruling and reigning with Christ and experiencing his good shepherdness, if you will, for all of eternity. So I just want to invite you this morning. We're going to try to take communion here. Um, is just ask a couple questions that, that Jesus, the night he was betrayed, he, he celebrated the, the, <clears throat> the uh, Lord's Supper, which we call the Lord's Supper now. But, but it was, it was the, uh, the meal that represented the, the bread and the cup, his, his body and his blood that were shed for the remission of, of sins. And it's a beautiful picture because it, it reminds us again this table that's going to be set one day where we will eat with Jesus and his people for all of eternity. We will have the, the, the greatest uh, food that you could ever imagine. It reminds us that we're all in this together, that we're a family together. That every tribe and tongue and nation will be together. Celebrating God's reality and God's kingdom. And so if you're a believer in Christ this morning, I, I want to just invite you um, just to consider are we letting Jesus be our good shepherd right now? Does he have full authority and reign in our lives to lead us where he needs to lead us? Where's their resistance? Where's their hesitancy? We might call that sin. What are the things that, that, are, that, are, that I'm believing that the enemy's telling me that are better than Jesus, that, that I can't have my needs ultimately met in him, that I have to find it somewhere else? I just want to invite you to lay those things 
uh, down before him, before you take the supper this morning. Um, so if you have a, a, a little, what do we call this, a communion kit? Um, hopefully the, um, we, we got this from a, a, a fine establishment in this place called Amazon. Um, so I'm hopefully the, the, juice, the juice is kosher. Um, but we're, we're going to tear off the top there. And there should be a little wafer in there. Actually, the wafer's on the very top. I just realized that. Um, COVID might not take us out, but I'm pretty sure this, these are going to. Um, so your little wafer on the, on the top there, and then the bottom is the, the juice. And this is Christ's body broken for you. And this is his blood shed for you, for the remissions of your sins. Remember that the good shepherd has laid a table before us to feast. So feast uh, together. That's a little dry, not going to lie. So if I could have the the worship team come up, they're going to... close us out in a song and while we pray together Father um, my prayer for me and for us is that we could say with David that the Lord is my shepherd I shall not want that everything I need in this life and even the next is found in him. That you provide from every small detail of our lives to every large detail of our lives that you are enough for us. That we'd find our joy and our contentment ultimately in you. And I know there's moments where we say yes and amen, but I know there's moments when we say, ah, this is really hard. But wherever we find ourselves, would we invite the shepherd to come in and lead us and guide us because we know he's always leading us to still waters and green pastures because, God, that's who you are. Thank you for your grace and your mercy and your goodness that is with us all of our days because the cross proves it. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's sing together. From the depths of all I raise to Thee A voice of lamentation Lord, turn the gracious ear to me And hear my supplication If Thou iniquities dost mark Our secret sins and misdeeds dark Oh, who shall stand before Thee? Oh, who shall stand before Thee? To wash away the crimson stain Grace, grace alone availeth. Our works, alas, are all in vain. 
in much the best life failing no man can glory in the sight all must alike confess thy might and live alone by mercy For my trust is in the Lord and not in my own merit. On him my soul shall rest, his word upholds my fainting spirit. His promised mercy is my for my comfort and my sweet support. Uh, just one, one quick thing. As we uh, continue uh, our worship, if you'd like to give an offering, there's a basket in the front and the back. We won't be passing them around uh, today. Um, also, if you have those activity packets, make sure you put those back in the gathering space. We refill those and clean those every, every week, so leave those for, for the kiddos. Um, and I want to just leave you with Psalm 23 as our blessing. A couple of verses. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Surely, only, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days 
of my life. I pray that you would make that your own uh, this week, and then out of it would flow abundance of generosity in your life. Go in God's grace. Go in God's peace. Uh, I won't see you next week, but I'll see you, uh, Lord willing, very soon. Amen.